If you listen real close, you can hear them whisper their legacy to you. Go on, lean in. Listen. You hear it? <clears throat> My name's Todd Adams. This is Kathy Adams. Welcome back to another episode of Pop Culturing. This is, uh, we're going to talk about a little 1989 classic. What's the name of the movie, my darling? Uh, Dead Poets Society. Yes. And uh, Carpe Diem, everybody. Carpe Diem, every day. Uh, did you know what Carpe Diem meant before no. that movie? No. I, 1989, I was 18 years old, so that was like all news to me. kind of feel like I knew what it meant, but I don't know. Who knows? I don't think you did. Mm, I'm, yeah. And the only reason I say that is because unless you were studying, maybe, well, you know, maybe you were studying those mm-hmm. writers. Um, so we're going to kind of be all over the place, as we always are on pop culturing. Um, but I, I want to start in a different place than I usually do. Um, awards. Okay. It won one Oscar. Do you know what it was? Let's see. Let me guess. Um, it won one Oscar. It's probably something random like costumes or something. Best screenplay. Oh, I was going to guess screenplay and I thought, no. Yeah. Tom Shulman. Tom Shulman. Yeah. And this was a book first. Um, was it adapted aren't screenplay? All movies, books first. No. I've never understood that. No, some there's so two some different categories. Like, so some people like write a movie, but they write it in the form of a screenplay. Yeah, there's two different categories in the Academy Awards. One is original screenplay, mm-hmm. and one is adapted screenplay. Got it. So an adapted screenplay so comes some, from a book. Some man or woman comes up with an idea of a movie, and they write a screenplay Correct. without a without the book. I always thought it always starts with a book. Well, Tarantino didn't have books. I guess that's true, isn't it? Yeah. Are we ever going to do a Tarantino movie? Uh, if we do, I actually suggested we do Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but yeah. you ixnade So my... if we get three people telling us that they want us to do that movie, <laughs> I'm in. But I don't think anybody's seen it. Our audience, that is not true. Our people audience has not seen it yet. I disagree. How many people listening have heard Dead Poets Society, have seen Dead Poets Society? How many have seen... Once upon a time. Once in upon a time in Hollywood. Well, like five percent of those hundred. That could be, and and maybe I'm wrong. I just think a lot of people that it had a pretty amazing opening weekend. It's made a lot of money. It's Brad Pitt and Leo DiCaprio. Mm-hmm. But anyway, let's move on to Dead Poets Society. Um, so I am a huge fan of this uh, mm-hmm. movie in the same way I'm a huge fan of Stand by Me. It's about boys. Mm-hmm. Teenage, you know, growing up. All boys school. Rites of passage, all that good stuff. And I just, uh, once again, to stay with the awards thing, um, Best Picture, 1989. Actually, maybe it was 1990. Um, Any idea who won? No, it was 1989. Why are you saying 1990? Well, maybe it came out in 1989, but the award, the the Academy Award was Was in the 1990. Uh, Let's see. Against, let's see, the year I was... Going into college. I, I don't know if I could come up with all those movies. It was a pretty good uh, field. Okay. Speaking of field, Field of Dreams is one. Okay, that I could Born understand. on the 4th of July. Yeah, Tom Cruise. My Left Foot. You ever seen that? Yeah. That is it was good? Daniel Day-Lewis. Is it good? Um, yeah, I, it's good, but it's not like 
this Friday we're going to watch it again. Does he have two left feet? No, he is he is a um a man with a disability. Oh, okay. And he it's an extraordinary performance oh, it as is. you would, you know, guess about um Daniel Day-Lewis. Uh Dead Poet Society and finally Driving Miss Daisy. You know what one? Driving Miss Daisy one. And all I have to say is two words. Stop it. <laughs> Are you telling me Driving Miss Daisy is a better movie than Dead Poets Society? You know, this is always an interesting conversation about who wins the Academy Awards because I sometimes think that certain years I know, I, I, I get a feeling of whether or not this award season is going to hold up. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? I do. Like sometimes there's a winner that we're all kind of like, uh, like the one that you and I get most frustrated about. The Boyhood versus Birdman year, which yeah. was three or four years ago. Ago, Boyhood should have won, won Best Picture. Yes. Birdman was great. You and I are huge Michael Keaton fans. Right. But I was like, what's happening here? Boyhood took 10 years to create. I'm with no you. one's ever done it. Link, Link later has had all these movies under his belt that has demonstrated what he can do. Yeah. It was crazy. Preach, so, preach woman. I'm, I'm right there with you. So my point in saying this is that I don't know if Driving Miss Daisy was the best choice. You know what I would have picked in there? Huh. Field of Dreams. Uh, instead of Dead Poets Society? Well, Dead Poets Society would have been a very close second, but Field of Dreams has Pretty held amazing. up Times Amazing. I agree, I agree. I just said Times Amazing, Times 10. Times Amazing. <laughs> um, and then last thing regarding awards. These were the, so you already said Daniel Day-Lewis. He, he won. won. Mm-hmm. The other is some guy named Kenneth Branagh. What do you mean, some guy? Kenneth Branagh. Who's that? Uh, well. Sounds like a made-up name. No. You, uh, let's see, I'm trying to think he of something. He was in Henry V. Yeah, he's a British actor. He used to be married to Emma Thompson. And he's in movies that you've never seen. Yeah. I'm trying to think of a movie you know him in and you don't know. And the last three was Morgan Freeman and Driving Miss Daisy, mm-hmm. Robin Williams and Dead Poets Society, and Tom Cruise, Born on the Fourth of July. Pretty tough category. Yeah, very tough. My gosh. And Daniel Day-Lewis won. So... Um, so I'm going to throw some storylines at you. Which one did you most identify with, my darling, in this movie? Um, uh, Knox Overstreet was in love with no, Chris. No, no, That was like my least favorite story. Um, Dalton wanting to suck the marrow out of life. Charlie. Charlie. Let's just call him Charlie because he's my favorite. Also known as Nawanda. Yes. Neil Perry wanting to become an actor and just the Robin Williams thing. Oh, what about Todd? Oh, yeah. Todd just trying to find his voice, I guess. They all have, all these boys have a story. I think the only one who didn't really have a story was Meeks. Um, Or Pitts. Or Pitts. He's like, I hope you rise above your name. Yes. Robin Williams has some great one-liners in this movie. Um, So I think that my least favorite story is Will Gardner's story. Will Gardner is Josh Charles, who plays (laughs) Knox Overstreet. I don't like Will Gardner's story. Um, Just because... It borders a little on being stalkerish. I love a good love story, but mm-hmm. I, I wasn't really feeling it from Chris. Right. Um, so didn't love that. And that had nothing to do with the other boys. I liked the it's, interaction. Yeah, it's kind of like an outside story. Yeah. It just didn't quite fit in, except, you know, teenage boys fall in love. They do. Well, Charlie brings the two girls to the Dead Poets Society Yes, he does. And one of them is the drug dealer from... Goodfellas. Goodfellas. I can't think of the (laughs) movie Goodfellas. I know last night you were like, Al Pacino. Robert De Niro. I didn't say Pacino. Robert De Niro, Ray Liotta. Oh, Ray Liotta. That's right. Um, So, yeah. So which one are you going with? Um, I can't go with one. I have to go with three. 
and this is how I'm going to explain it. Three. I'm only, you, you have to go with one. Okay, but can I explain sure, why ahead. I'm choosing go three? Ahead. When I first saw the movie, it was Neil's story. Mm-hmm. Neil's okay? the actor. And Neil is the... Everybody hopefully has seen this movie because we're going to be talking spoilers. Yes. What happens? Neil is the one who has the overbearing father. They all have overbearing fathers. Speaking of overbearing fathers, can I just put a pause on where you are put right now? Put a pin in it? This is a story that I didn't... This is a part of the movie I thought... I didn't think I was going to play, but then when we rewatched it last night, it's just interesting. So this is Neil um, being interrupted by his dad in his dorm room um, after finding out... Uh, I think it's all self-explanatory. Neil, I've just spoken to Mr. Nolan. I think that you're taking too many extracurricular activities this semester, and I've decided that you should drop school annual. But I'm the assistant editor this year. I'm I'm sorry, Neil. But, Father, I can't. It wouldn't be fair. Fellas, would you excuse us for a moment? me in public you understand father i wasn't disputing you finished medical school and you're on your own then you can do as you damn well please but until then you do as i tell you is that clear yes, sir i'm sorry <clears throat> you know how much this means to your mother don't you yes sir you know me you're always taking on too much well that's my boy he just shook his son's hand so so many things to say about that scene. So many bad dad moments in that moment. First of all, passing it off on the mother. No doubt. You know how much this means to your mother. Second of all, deciding that, and again, I know this is old school, this is a different time, but deciding that him being charge of the annual, which mm-hmm. is the yearbook, mm-hmm. is somehow going to disrupt from his studies versus support him in his experience at school right. is naive. Now, from what I understand, though, about Neil's dad... Um, he didn't have right. the same opportunity as Neil. He's not as Neil. privileged as the rest of his, Neil's family is not as rich as like Charlie's uh, family. They, or Todd's. Or Todd's. Mm-hmm. So they're, he's kind of like, they're over their skis a little bit. They in are. In terms of um, class. So his dad is living in fear yeah. and he's living in the future. Mm-hmm. He's living in the way that I'm going to be a good dad is I'm going to make make, and I'm using that word on purpose, make my son be a doctor and yeah. I'm going to, you know, s- you know, snow plow or plow over anything that might get in the way in my perception. Yeah. Um, and he thinks that, you know, and here he's got this son. He doesn't even know his son. No. Like his son is one of the most gregarious, kind, outgoing. He's a, he's a theater kid. And do you hear Neil's energy get squashed? Yeah, decreased. And he yeah. just like gets small? Exactly. That's why when, you know, at the end, and I know we'll go deeper into this, his experience with Mr. Keating, who's Robin Williams, but when Mr. Keating says to him, you have to talk to your dad about this, he's literally like, there's no way. Uh, Neil, and he doesn't say it so bluntly, but he's like, that's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Not for two reasons. Number one, he doesn't have those inner tools to even begin that conversation because his whole life he has been squashed by his dad. And even if he had the inner tools, his dad would not listen. Right. So he's got two pretty major strikes going against him. Um, so going back to your original question, yes. Neil's story was my favorite in the when I first saw it. 
Um, then when I saw it again in my 20s or 30s, I think is when we first had kids, or when I first started writing and teaching, I got really into Mr. Keating being my like my spirit animal, mm. where I was like, I that's the kind of teaching I like to do. No doubt. And so I watched it a few times, and then I loved Todd, right. who was played by Ethan Hawke, because he's the one who has the most dramatic arc. Yeah. But then we watched this last night, and as we discussed, I loved Charlie. Yeah. So Charlie's the one that puts the lightning bolts on his chest. He's always the first one to jump in with both feet. He's the one that kind of like breaks the rules. And now the irony is that he's he's the rule breaker, but he's also the, he's got the best integrity. Oh yeah. Because he says what he does, he does what he says, he believes in who he is, he honors what he learns, so we can look at him and say, oh, he's the one who's kind of being a jokester. And I believe at the end of the movie, um, after Neil commits suicide and after they decide that Mr. Keating is the one responsible for all this, um, the younger um, Neil's classmates all sign this piece of paper saying that you know Mr. Keating was a negative influence and it's why Neil was doing this acting thing and Charlie also known as Nawanda um <laughs> when he says damn it Charlie is that who no damn yeah. it who's who does he damn say damn it neil damn it neil it's nawanda that's Name a great moment is nawanda mm-hmm. um he's the only one that doesn't sign the papers and his name's not even on it. But here's why, Todd. I realized this last night. Is it after because he got expelled it. after p- punching Cameron? He punched Cameron. That's why he got expelled. Got it. Yeah. So he never had a chance <laughs> to sign that letter. But he punched Cameron because Cameron told on Keating. So it was this. He he wouldn't have signed the paper even if he hadn't punched Cameron. Yeah. And it's kind of weird how, like, at the end of this movie, two of the main characters in the classroom, in the at the very end with the "Oh Captain, My Captain" speech, which we'll play at the very end of this podcast, because I still get goosebumps. Uh, Neil is obviously not there because he's dead, and mm-hmm. Charlie's not there. So it's it's weird mm-hmm. that two of the members of the two dead of the main society. members are not there. And this is kind of the deep existential question for this movie: Was John Keating a helpful teacher or a hindrance? Mm-hmm. And this is why, at every phase of your life, you see it differently. I, at this point in my life, think he's the only teacher they had there. Yeah, meaning. You know, here's my my deep questions about, you know, this movie or about education. Why? What is education for? Like, what is a teacher supposed to be? Um, what is school supposed to be? These are like as as parents, even now in 2019, we have to decide those answers yeah. before we can parent our kids effectively. And I'm ta- and, you know, as a teacher, I think. Like I, my undergrad is in teaching, um, so that was elementary school, but then now I teach in a college environment, which is very different. But my undergrad, and when I was teaching kids, I struggled a lot because a lot of the natural impulses of being a teacher can be easel, easily disregarded or unintentionally squashed by curriculum and test taking. Yeah. So like you may have all these ideas. Like when I was in um, undergrad, I was taught something called the whole language approach okay. to teaching. And the whole language approach to teaching was a very like creative, introspective, um, allowing kids to engage in their environment and each other kind of approach. It was fantastic. Mm. Um but what that also meant is there was less spelling tests. Yeah. There was less, you know, standardized tests. It was a very... Less rigidity. L- 
completely less rigidity. Like I remember the, some of the lessons plans I made, you know, it was like make a puppet and mm-hmm. then talk it through. It, it, and that just doesn't happen anymore. And Mr. Keating kind of followed that routine. Which is why he's always been one of my spirit animals, not just because I learned it in school, but I know that's how people learn. Yeah. You know, that people learn when they engage in something in a deep way. And, and with my college students now, this is what like, you know, even when I interviewed for my last job, um, I said, I don't teach traditionally. I don't teach, I don't, I mean, we always have a book, but we engage in a totally different way. How many people listening to this podcast had a teacher as good or better than Mr. Keating? Right. Assuming everybody likes him. And right. if you're listening to this podcast, you probably like the star of the movie, which was Mr. Keating or Robin Williams. I think he's too good to be true almost. Well, I think what I read was Tom Schulman, the one yeah. who won the Academy Award, yeah. that he based this character off of two, two of his different teachers. teachers. Yeah. So he's like a, an amalgam. If we could only be so lucky yeah, to have a Mr. Keating in our life. Um, another question I had as we bounce around, there's one part that I was always confused by, and I seem to be the only one that was confused by it. After uh, Neil gets the part and his dad play. finds out that he's has a part in the play, Neil has this moment where he doesn't know what to do. And he goes to Robin Williams and he sits down with him. And I actually have the clip pulled up. I don't know if I need to play it, but um, he's like, what do I do? And basically Robin Williams says, you got to tell your dad. Why don't you play the clip? Because right. it's good. Get you some tea. Tea. Sure. Milk or sugar in there? No. Gosh, they don't give you much room around here. That's part of the monastic oath. You know, worldly things distracting me from my teaching. She's pretty. She's also in London. <laughs> Makes it a little difficult. How can you stand it? Stand what? You can go anywhere. You can do anything. How can you stand being here? Because I love teaching. I don't want to be anywhere else. What's up? I just talked to my father. He's making me quit the play at Henley Hall. <laughs> Acting is everything to me. I... But he doesn't know. He... I can see his point. We're not a rich family like Charlie's. We. But he's planning the rest of my life for me, and I... he... he's never asked me what I want. Have you ever told your father what you just told me? About your passion for acting, you ever showed him that? I can't. Why not? I can't talk to him this way. And you're acting for him, too. You're playing the part of the dutiful son. And I know this sounds impossible, but you have to talk to him. You have to show him who you are, what your heart is. I know what he'll say. He'll tell me that acting's a whim and I should forget it. <laughs> They're counting on me. So do you think... So I so then there's another part after this, and he tells Robin Williams, I talked to my dad. Correct. And he's lying. Correct. How do you know he's lying? Because you can tell by the way he says it, and you can tell by the way Robin Williams receives it. By really? Mr. Keating receives it. Now, the end of that clip, you mm. didn't play it and you don't need to, okay. but I wrote down uh, a few lines last night that they say at the very end. So... They continue talking about this. Neil continues explaining, my dad won't understand. And then Neil says to him, isn't there an easier way? Mr. Keating says, no. And then he's, and then Neil says, I'm trapped. And Mr. Keating says, no, you're not. Mm. So 
I know that sounds like big deal that, but for some reason I found that to be beautiful screenwriting because it's not this, this is what our job is as adults is to remind our kids that there is a wider perspective than what they understand because they haven't had enough life experience to see that there are many, many options and pathways and roads mm-hmm. and, op- you know, their opportunities are surprising sometimes. Yeah. And what Mr. Keating is trying to say, it's not as if he's oblivious to the parents that bring their kids to this school. He's basically saying, you have been acting your whole life to be dutiful and you, this is an opportunity to break out, not just in this play, but with your father. Yeah, as a, as a person and your, your role in your family. The role in your family. And he have, in, but Neil has been so conditioned. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, I don't know if there's a better word to not do that. Yeah, and he doesn't even think of it as a possibility. Right. He's like, I'm trapped. And Mr. Keating's like, you're not. Yeah. But he doesn't, I mean, obviously his choice at the end, this is a guy who and I've heard from a lot of people, um, or maybe I heard this on a different podcast, that when this first screened, people were shocked when he that killed, he killed himself. Right. Because here's a kid who's smart in school, who's got a ton of friends, who you know is very well liked, has skills, has all these things, and in this moment he took his life. But here's the thing about young people and teenagers: they don't think they have options. Yeah. He re- because his dad right before that scene where he takes his life says to him, "I'm sending you to a different school, boarding school, military yep. academy. You are when you're done with ten years of like I think this school somehow extended him into medical school. Yeah, he's like, you are going to go to the school and you are going to be a doctor. And he's like, but father, that's, that's ten, 10 years. years. And he's and he's the father so dismissive of him. But here's my question: so Neil mm-hmm. is lying to Robin Williams, Correct. saying that he talked to his dad. Correct. And the reason that's always confused me is because what is Neil's plan then if he didn't talk to his dad? He's just going to do the play yeah, because and he, then hope that his dad says okay? No, no. He was going to do the play. Yeah. And what did he keep saying in that conversation with Robin Williams? Do you remember? No. He kept saying he's going to be out of town. He won't be able to come. He's going to be out of Got town. It. He won't be able so to how come. Does, so how does Neil's dad show up then? I don't know. They don't give us that oh, information. Interesting. But I think that... He probably came in to check on him or whatever, but I think Neil was betting on the fact. It's kind of like going out and getting drunk and coming home and talking to your parents and forgetting you smell like alcohol. Yeah. Like, again, this is yeah. a teenage mind. Yeah, you're naive. Mind. You only look at it through a certain lens. And you, he was like, my dad's going to be out of town. I'm going to do the play anyway. And Neil, when you feel trapped, you do yeah. interesting stuff. Now, right. I think this... The crisis that Mr. Keating was having in that moment is he knows Neil is lying, mm-hmm. yet he's trapped because yeah. he can't say to Neil, like he's caught in this web where he would like to believe, but I don't think he fully believes. Right. Um, so should I do the barbaric yop scene? Um, well, let me talk about Todd for a second. And then because that Todd is played by whom? Ethan Hawke. Okay. Um, so Todd is a really interesting uh He's interesting in this movie because he kind of is, I think, the soul of it. Because yeah. I think he is the one who's most deeply embedded in himself. Because Neil, for as much as he has this challenge with his parents and his dad specifically, 
um, and his very passive mom, my yeah. least favorite character in this uh, movie. How could she he she be your least favorite as compared to the dad? Well, she's it, actually. I said last night I was wrong for completely blaming her. I think the first time I saw it, I was very angry with her because yeah. she didn't speak up. And watching it again, you realize that she, she didn't have a lot of. Well, um, and she did speak up in that moment. And we tried to pause it and rewind it, and we couldn't catch what she was saying. But there is a moment yeah. when her dad's dropping when her husband's dropping the hammer to Neil. And she does stand up and speak up, but we can't hear what she says. And not only that, it's infuriating because when, before she goes to bed, before he, before Neil makes this choice, she comes up behind him and he says, he's talking about being in the play, and he goes, I was good. Mm-hmm. And she nods her head, but mm-hmm. she's behind him. Yeah. And I know a head nod is like not a huge deal, but she's acknowledging yeah. him, but he can't see it. Yeah. It's such a great, uh, again, I'm you know, looking at the movie from a director's perspective, sure. that was perfect. Yeah. He, she's behind him, yet he can't see her validation. Right. And so, of course, she does the passive, you just need some sleep, yeah. which is ridiculous. But anyway, Neil... Obviously, at school, not only is he popular with his friends, but he's willing to break out mm-hmm. of his persona. Todd has swallowed and eaten and and lives on the the, the constraints that his parents have put on him. Well, and he lives in the shadow of his older brother. Completely. Yeah. And he is like a shell yeah. of himself. He doesn't even know who he is. And so, like, he but he's the soul because he's kind of like... The one who, like I said before, is going to have the biggest arc because Neil has always been out there. Right. He's just be- dealing with his parents. Todd's dealing with himself. Right. He's trying to figure out who he is. So this is probably the most pivotal scene besides the very end that you're going to play where Todd is forced to write poetry. Everybody in the class is. He chooses to not write it because he just cannot express himself in a way that he thinks is appropriate. He, Mr. Keating actually says to him, you think there's nothing inside of you that's worthwhile. Right. Is that part of this scene? Um, I actually clipped that out. Okay, so he says to him, oh, he says to the whole class, Mr. Anderson here thinks there's nothing yeah. inside of him that's worthwhile. Right. Isn't that correct? Um, and then, But he forces Todd to get up on the stage and do something and then helps him through this. And here he goes. <laughs> Uh, a yacht. No, not just a yacht. A barbaric yacht. Yacht. Come on. Louder. Yacht. Oh, that's a mouse. Come on. Louder. Yacht. Oh, good God, boy. Yell like yeah. There it is. You see? You have a barbarian in you after all. Now, you don't get away that easy. Picture of Uncle Walt up there. What does he remind you of? Don't think. Answer. Go on. A, a, a madman. What kind of madman? Well, think about it. Just answer again. A crazy man. No, oh, you can do better than that. Free up your mind. Use your imagination. Say the first thing that pops into your head, even if it's total gibberish. Go uh, on. Uh, a sweaty tooth madman. Good God, boy. There's a poet in you after all. There. Close your eyes. Close your eyes. Close them. Now, describe what you see. Uh, I, I close my eyes. Yes? Uh, and this image floats beside me. A sweaty tooth madman. A sweaty tooth madman. With a stare that pounds my brain. Oh, that's excellent. Now give him action. Make him do something. His hands reach out and choke me. That's wonderful. Wonderful. And all the time he's mumbling. What's he mumbling? Uh, mumbling truth. Yeah, yeah. Truth like like a blanket that always leaves your feet cold. Forget them. Forget them. Stay with the blanket. Tell me about that blanket. You you you, you, you push it, stretch it. It'll never be enough. You kick at it, beat it. It'll never cover any of us. From the moment we enter crying to, to the moment we leave dying, it'll just cover your face as you wail and cry and scream. Don't you forget this. 
Sweetie, you have a picture of that in your vision board. I do. Why? Because that is where you get that moment. It's done really well. The way they film it, they film it. He's going in a circle mm-hmm. around them. Yeah. So you kind of feel like you're moving and you're part of what they're experiencing. And he's forcing Todd to get out of his head right. and into his heart, which is, I believe, the job of all teachers. Right. Um, again, I'm, I understand teachers who are listening to this, you have constriction that that's almost impossible in in certain environments, but if you have the ability, that's what we want Mm -hmm. because Todd's belief in his mind, what he has been taught to think is people will tell me how to do this. People show me how to do it and I will follow through with what you tell me and what Robin Williams, what Mr. Keating is teaching him is trust yourself Go inside, say what you know, and it will be valuable. Don't be a conformist. Exactly. Don't be seize the day. So speaking of Welton, where they go to school. So there are four pillars at Welton. Yes. Do you have those written down? I do. Okay, Sam. They are. I thought I did. Where are they? Hold on, I got them somewhere. Uh, I got them. If you want me to say them. Yes. Go ahead, my darling. Tradition. Excellence. Excellence. Discipline and honor. Mm. And the piece that Mr. Keating does not follow through with is tradition. Right. He, he, I mean, the school is traditional in itself and tradition's sure. there, but Mr. Keating is a non traditional yeah. teacher. And for the old white men yeah. who run the place, that's breaking one of the pillars. For sure. They're not, especially about with it. ripping chapters out of books. Yeah, <laughs> he's just ripped those pages out. And and that's the thing is this this movie is a movie. And so there's high drama and it's like extreme situations like that, like rip the pages out when really there's a lot of teachers who they may not make you rip pages out of books, but they're like, that's not important. Mm-hmm. What's important is what poetry is. It's not about the iambic pentameter or whatever yeah. it's called. Is that right? Iambic? Do you remember um, learning all yeah, of that? I do remember that, but I don't think that was poetry, that's was it? Not, what's iambic pentameter? Am I making up that word? I got to look it up. I think you're on this. Um, I am. Well, I'm looking it up, but I. it's not about pentameter. Let's see what it is. A line of verse with five metrical feet. Yeah, that's what I was going to say okay. it was. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. It's, it's about what is poetry. Poetry is from your heart. Poetry, even like the kid who stands up and does the cat sits on the mat or mm. the rat sits on the mat. I like that kid. I like him too. And he stands up at the end, by the way. Yes, he I does. Love. But Mr. Keating says to him, like, you know, basically don't quit your day job. But he also says to him, there's nothing wrong with simple poems, mm-hmm. but y- you, it still needs to come from somewhere. Yeah. You know, like you, it, simplicity says, is not the problem. He says, just don't make, don't make it boring. Don't make it, don't make it boring. Yeah. yeah like or, you know, Ordinary, I think he ordinary. said. Ordinary. That's what he said. Ordinary. So as we continue to jump around, um, I remember hearing this YouTube clip of one of my favorite teachers. His name is Terry Rio. He's a feminist, but he teaches healthy masculinity. And he, um, he talked about this in, to a men's group back in like the early 90s. And I always remember this because he talks about it in terms of traditional masculinity. And uh, uh, Mr. Keating represents the opposite of traditional, you know, like even yeah. tradition. Mm-hmm. 
because Mr. Keating teaches poetry, teaches teaches love, teaches nonconformity, new perspective, new perspective, and all this other stuff. And the way I like to kind of think about it, like there's the four archetypes. There's a book called King, Warrior, Magician, Lover that I read a while back, and it's just about how, as as a man, I am I am all four of these. Um, Archetypes. Um, you know, the king is the all-knowing, the warrior is the strength, the lover is the romantic, the soft, the vulnerable, and the uh, magician is the clever one or the one that, like, is uh, really um, stimulating his brain intellectually. And what's interesting is that, obviously, Mr. Keating represents the lover quadrant. And um, this, when when Neil committed suicide, he basically did it because he felt hopeless, but also at the same time to like basically say screw you to his dad and just the idea and the symbolism of what this tradition really represents. And he's, one thing that uh, I remember in this YouTube clip was he's like, did you notice that when Neil is going to, he's preparing to commit suicide. He puts the crown on. He puts the crown on mm-hmm. and and they're doing midnight, mid, Midsummer's. Midsummer yeah. And um, he, his character's name is Puck. Yeah. Which is a fairy. Yeah. Now, I don't even know. He's the lead fairy. Yeah. And I don't mm-hmm. even know in the Shakespearean what that means, mm-hmm. but it's just like the ultimate F you to his dad. Like, this is who I am. Yeah. And I always remember that, how powerful that is. Like, that's how Neil decided to go out. Well, and he had finally, you know, it's one of those, you know, interesting film moments where someone finally shows up as they are, Mm -hmm. which is, and, you know, we can talk about, you know, his, his various, his ability to, to be masculine in many different ways, but also where he recognizes this is what I've always wanted. He says it more than once. Like one of my favorite exchanges is with Todd when he and Todd are roommates and he comes in and tells Todd, I'm going to try out for this play and you have never seen Neil more happy. He's being silly and funny and he's jumping around the room and Todd, who has completely, um, you know, who is filled with the patriarchy, who is like, no, 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 more fearful than than domineering over Neil, but is like, how are you going to do that? You got to tell your dad, what are you going to do? How are you going to handle it? And Neil yells at him and say, he says, Todd, will you let me have this moment. I've never wanted anything more than this. Right. And and they get through that moment. Todd, though, doesn't apologize. Do right. you notice? What Do you remember what Todd does? What does he do? He kind of backs away like he does with his own parents. Mm. You only see Todd's parents once, but mm. just by knowing Todd, you kind of know yeah. what his parents are like. Um, so here's Neil real quick. Yeah. I found it. I found what? What I want to do right now. What's really, really inside of me. A Midsummer Night's Dream? This what? is it. What is that? It's a play, Tommy. I know that. What does it have to do with you? All right, they're putting it on at Henley Hall. Open tryouts. Open tryouts. Yes, so, so. I'm going to act. Aha! Yes! Yes! I'm going to be an actor. Ever since I can remember, I wanted to try this. I even tried to go to summer stock auditions last year, but of course my father wouldn't let me. So he just lights up. This is what's he's saying. This is what's inside of me. This is who I am. It's probably always been who Neil is, um, but this hasn't been an option. And then it's kind of like, think about anything in your life, you guys, where it doesn't even have to be the work you do or the job you do or what you went to school for, but like... 
I light up when I see personal growth or self-help, right? Like I just run toward it. Or I light up when the new Entertainment Weekly comes out or when um, there's a new, you know, a story about like this morning, there's this big thing on Twitter about which one's better, Seinfeld or Friends. Yeah. And and I don't care because I think it's so important in the world. I just care because I care. Mm-hmm. It makes me go, well, I know a lot about both. And yeah. so what are people saying? And that makes me kind of And there's like, no effort. No, it, it's, I know it all already. Yeah. It, it's so natural to me, just like talk, you know, our other shows and parenting radio, the stuff we talk about is, is second nature. Yeah. There's nothing about it that, it, that I'm having to like study or learn before a show it's inside. And it's, and, and he is having that experience. Right. Well, it reminds me of two separate, uh, pop culturing references that we've already actually already done. Okay. One is from stand by me. Okay. When Chris and Gordy are walking down the train tracks, having a real authentic conversation. Yeah. Um, you know, we're talking about right now with Neil lighting up when it comes to acting. Um, Chris Chambers, played by River Phoenix, says to Gordy, he's like, you know, it's like God gave you something, man. Yeah. And he said, uh, he's like, you know, this is what we got for you, kid. Try not to lose it. Yeah. So that's the one thing I thought of. And the other one. Um, well, the other one is a departure from what I'm about to say in regards to the way Neil committed suicide. Well, before you say that, it's same thing with Will Hunting and Goodwill Hunting. Mm-hmm. You know, his friend, just like, because we talked about this yeah, in Stand yeah. By Me. Ben Affleck we, says that to Matt Damon. Yeah, he's like, you've been given this thing yeah. and you aren't using it. And you and don't owe it to yourself. You owe it to us. You're offending me yes. because you have been given something that you're not yeah. using. So the other um, reference is... When Neil is going to commit suicide, he puts the the crown on. Yep. But then he takes it off. Yeah, because he's at his dad's desk. So that's so yeah. I want to dive into this. Okay. So he, I think he's in his room at the beginning. Yeah. Yep. And he puts his crown on. Opens the window. Opens the window, and we don't know why he did that. Oh, the cold air, the reality. I don't know. Um, creepy, dark, spooky, scary, moving, impactful. I was going to say. I would say. Um, Sad. Sad. Mm-hmm. Um, so he puts the crown on and then he takes it off. Yes. We're about to say some spoilers about A Star is Born. I know, honey, not now though, because I know, we've but already said that. I'm going to cut and paste it. Got it. Okay. <laughs> because he's at his dad's desk. So that's, so yeah, I want to dive into this. Okay. So he, I think he's in his room at the beginning. Yeah. yeah. And he puts his crown on. Opens the window. Opens the window, and we don't know why he did that. Oh, the cold air, the reality. I don't know. Um, Creepy, dark, spooky, scary, moving, impactful. I was going to say, I would say um, sad. Sad. Mm -hmm. Um, So he puts the crown on and then he takes it off. Yes. We did A Star is Born. And Jackson Maine takes his cowboy hat off before he commits suicide. Correct. Just interesting. People taking their hats off before they do this horrendous act well and again i think some of it is very like let's talk about jackson maine he takes it off because he's about to hang himself yeah so there's some just literal yeah you know so sorry i just feel like if someone hasn't seen a star is born i just ruined something that's all right i feel like we should give a um uh say something right before that kathy's about to say a spoiler okay will Ka- you do that kathy's about to say a spoiler about for, a star is born about a star just is born. put that in before yeah, well, okay so, you know, so there's some like, like actual logistic reasons. Actually, I think I spoiled it before that, didn't I? I know. So we'll just, <laughs> you can leave all this in. Just go back and say, we're about to say some spoilers. All right, go ahead. <laughs> so 
there's some logistical reasons why they're removing what they're removing because, mm-hmm. you know, the hat or the crown, because they're about to be in a position where it would have fall, fallen off anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and also there is a symbolism to me in the crown it, when he's standing in his room with the window open with the crown on, that's the reality of who he is, mm-hmm. right? He's being, and it's funny, I just looked up in Midsummer's Night Dream, Puck, who he plays, is Shakespeare's most enjoyable character in a Midsummer's Night, a Midsummer Night's Dream. Puck is a, is a sprite and servant and gesture. Puck is perhaps the most adorable character and stands out from the other fairies that drift through the play. Mm. So he's like the favorite. He's mm. like the fun. He's Got like it. the joy. Got it. So all those pieces of him with the crown on, that's, that's Neil. Yeah. Then he takes it off. Leaves himself there. Yeah, like that's who he was. That's who he is. And then how he is. And then he goes downstairs. Then he goes to his dad's office. Or, or did he take it off in his dad's no, office? No, no. He keeps it in his room. You're right. He keeps it in his room. Then he goes to his dad's office, which is who he's being forced to be. To be. And then if this and is then, who you're going to force me to then be. Then I won't be here. This is how I'm going to show up or, or I'm not. I'm not going to. Yeah. Exactly. So, um, you know, that's that's kind of how I, I... I don't know if I can do a great analogy to why, um, you know, how that relates to yeah. Star is Born. I'd probably have to think about Quick that more. trivia about um, after Sean Patrick Leonard. Is that his name? He plays Neil? Sean yes. Patrick. Um, after that scene... You know, because they rehearsed for months and they got to know each other. He removed Sean Patrick Leonard from the set so that the boys truly would feel a loss. Like their buddy who they've been acting with for the last few months. Got it. They woke, they woke up and he was gone. So it was like he was dead. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. What What is his name again? Robert Sean Leonard. What did I say? Sean Patrick Leonard? Yeah. Oh, thank so, you. Robert Sean Leonard. Thank you, sweetie. Yes. Um. So... Um, is there any other, I have a bunch of trivia, a bunch of best quotes. Yeah, let me, let's talk about a few of the quotes. So I, um, you know, there, let's see, there is a scene where Charlie, who is my favorite now that I'm 48, um, where he is kind of pushing the limits of the Dead Poet Society. Because again, this is supposed to be a secret society that the headmaster doesn't know about. And he decides to write an article for the paper mm. saying that he wants to have girls come to Welton. Right. Now that's like blasphemous sure. at this time. And he knows that. He's pushing the limits on purpose. And he he <laughs> does this. He writes the article. Article, and then there's a big, you know, scuttlebutt yeah. about it. And they're, you know, the headmaster, is that what he's called? The headmaster? I think so, yeah. He had, you know, he has them all come into the, you know, to the main hall and he's like, who did this? And then Charlie's super funny and says, you know, he stands up and he, the phone rings yes. and he's like, it's God. He yeah. says that we should, you know, have girls at Welton. So it's kind of a funny moment. It's a break in the tension. Um, but then after that, he obviously gets in trouble. He gets paddled, mm-hmm. which you and I Awful. were like, it's crazy that that used to be a thing that we used to paddle children um, because in that's school. that way they'll learn, sweetheart. Yeah, I mean it's it's crazy, but the you know we evolve um, through these times, and he then and then I'm sorry I'm like adding to what I was about to say, but then there is that great moment when he's crying because he's in pain, mm-hmm. and then what Neil comes to his door and he says, "Damn it, Neil, it's Nuanda." But why I also love that scene is it reminds me of that scene. In Almost Famous. Which scene? With Kate Hudson, where he tells her that they traded her for beer. Yeah. And then she waits a minute, 
And then she turns toward him and she starts, you can tell she's about to cry. And she's like, what kind of beer? Yeah. It's the exact same kind of like, I am in pain. Here we go, sweetie. Okay. You kicked out? No. So what happened? I'm to turn everybody in, apologize to school, and all will be forgiven. So what are you going to do? Charlie. Damn it, Neil. The name is Nwanda. What's great about great that, moment. that kid, he's not in any other movies. I know. We, Todd and I looked him up last night. We're like, where's this guy been? He's amazing in this know, movie. Do you want to play the almost famous scene, too? Uh, if I can find it, it'll take me a little bit. Okay, so... Um, I, as, as I'm talking about the, you know, this, this thing with Charlie and he does this and he gets in trouble that happens. And then Mr. Keating, um, of course feels like he played a role in, you know, Charlie pushing the limits this far. So he goes to talk to him and basically says to him, um, dude, you know, what, what are you doing? And, you know, Charlie says to him, I thought you would love this mm-hmm. because, you know, this is me like sucking the marrow out of life. Like yeah. you told us to do. And Mr. Keating's wisdom is very simple. He says, you have to know daring and you have to know caution. And then you have to know the difference between mm-hmm. the two. Yeah. Like it's great to be daring, but you also have to be, this is like why I really like that moment is on Zen Parenting Radio, we always talk about false dichotomy, how we think that you're either one or the other, yeah. like you're either daring or cautious. And the truth about life is you have to find a place in between to not only know the difference, but about which one is important at which time. You talk about this with healthy masculinity all the time is that a man or a woman for that, I'll speak about myself and then you can talk about healthy masculinity. A woman can be strong and be soft. A woman can be powerful and she can also in certain situations be taken care of Mm -hmm. and that you you don't have to be one or the other. And this is the truth for men too. And so the daring and cautious speech, it's it's very brief, but I feel like it's powerful. This is uh, that part. There's a time for daring and there's a time for caution. And a wise man understands which is called for. But I thought you'd like that. No. You being expelled from school is not daring to me. It's stupid. So, yeah, it's like there's a world of wisdom in Robin Williams' words right there, which is there's a time for caution, a time for daring. And it's, you know, I think of whatever step that is for people in the 12-step program and the wisdom to know the difference. The wisdom, that's the serenity prayer. Yeah. That's right. you need to know the difference. And that he and then I think he kind of leaves them laughing because he's like, you know, most important, you need to be in my class. Yeah. Like it's not about just being at Welton. You need to be my student. Right. You need to stay with me. You ready to hear Penny Lane? The, so this is from almost famous, very similar moment. I think this is the scene. In private. Maybe it is love. As much as it can be for somebody... Who sold you to Humble Pie for 50 bucks in a case of beer? I was there. I was there. Oh, God. I'm sorry. What kind of beer? That's got to be our next movie, sweetie. You know, it's so funny to hear William's voice because William... I love William. Me too. He's so... He's a non-actor. He is, and he's so a (laughs) non-actor. 
but then I, I struggle but I, a little but bit. But I like him. Well, and I kind of feel like maybe Cameron Crowe picked him for Almost Famous because he was so green. Yeah. So because you you know here's this kid. You know how sometimes in movies or even in teenage movies they make the kids so smart and savvy and they always say the perfect thing and that's not real life. Yeah. And William in Almost Famous is kind of a um, he's he's not sure what's happening ever. Um, let's not dive into Almost Famous. I say we do that maybe for next week. Really? I don't know. I just love that movie. Look, don't make any promises. No promises. Yeah. Let's. Um, okay. Can I do some casting? What ifs? Sure. Go ahead. These but are you've all, got to call it something different because the rewatchables call it that. Um, other ideas of people who played this person in movies? All right. We just don't want to be plagiarizing. Um, Liam Neeson was supposed to be John Keaton. Keating. John Keating. Uh, Dustin Hoffman. And he was also mm. maybe going to direct. Okay. Bill Murray was See, once can... considered the, for the role of Mr. Keating. Mel Gibson, Alec Baldwin, and Mickey Rourke. Wow. Who would you like to see? I don't even know if these are true. I just found them on uh, online. But okay, so... Liam Neeson, Dustin Hoffman, Bill Murray, Mel Gibson, Alec Baldwin, or Mickey Rourke? Well, if it was like an Alec Baldwin, Mel Gibson kind of person, the whole tone of the movie would have been different. Right. If it was Bill Murray, it could have been a similar tone. Right. Um, I was actually listening to something this morning about Bill Murray... And I'm trying, oh, you know what it was? It was uh, Dak Shepard's podcast. He was talking to Danny McBride and they were talking about how when a comedian goes into a serious movie, Mm -hmm. how do they pull that off? And they were talking about how Bill Murray is the expert because he'll go into a serious movie, but stay Bill Murray, but as a serious character. Well, and I I think, you know, Robin Williams, nobody else could have played this role as well as Robin Williams. But having said all that, I'd like, I think Bill Murray, I'd like to give him a shot at this for some reason. Yeah. River Phoenix wanted to play Neil Perry, but the part went to Robert Sean Leonard. I, River Phoenix could have done that a hundred percent. Yes. Um, okay. This is a big one. Okay. And this is not, uh, this is just trivia. Okay. Originally, Professor Keating was supposed to die of leukemia. Huh. And they in com- what, in what, when, where? That was supposed to be a big part of the movie. So it was huh. longer and he dies and all that. And they completely switched what the movie was going to be about. Well, I thought that we heard that this movie was going to be a musical. That's another thing. It was. And they actually had the sets built in Atlanta. Okay. How would you make this a musical? <laughs> Well, I think it's in 1989 and fame, it was big in the 80s and they just, it sounds like an awful idea. I loved fame. I'd never seen it and I don't think I'll ever see it. What's wrong with you? I haven't seen Purple Rain either, sweetie. Yes, you did. You watched it with me because I had been talking about it forever. I think I took a nap during that. You did because you're like, you have to be kidding. But I loved Purple Rain. I would do Purple Rain on this podcast. I won't. You're going to have to get one of your friends in for that one. Okay. Neil's death, I don't know. I don't know if I buy this. Neil's death is foreshadowed early in the film. The camera is on him when Keating tells the class that they will each one day turn cold, stop breathing, and die. Well, we can't say that we don't believe it because the director probably I know, but did you pick up on it? Gosh, no, no. Um, This one I really like. In the very last scene, Cameron, who's the twerpo, who screws everything up. Yeah, he sure does. The kid with the red hair. Uh 
Cameron was supposed to stand on his desk as well. No, he couldn't have. But Dylan Cussman, that's the actor who played Cameron, yes. vetoed the idea because he did not think it was in character. He was surprised when director Peter Weir agreed. I, I hundred Cameron, good for you because he allowed himself to be the bad guy in mm. this movie. If he would have stood up, they would have dismantled the whole. Yeah. Because here's the thing: is you, it, it's kind of this is Todd's arc again. Let's go back to. Um, Ethan Hawke's character Todd's arc in this movie is that he shows up like Cameron. Yeah. So many of these boys don't even know there's another way to live. Yeah. And even while Mr. Keating is teaching them, so many of the characters, it kind of goes half and half. Some of the kids are like not buying it at all. And some actually, like the best one that stands on the desk to me is the kid who does the the, the cat or the rat sits on the mat. And he does it in, in this with the same energy. With he does everything else. Energy. And he's too cool for school. Yeah. But he's like, I am with you yes, now. That's like, wonderful. So he makes sense because even when they're doing the activities outside and he's kicking the ball, he thinks it's so dumb. Yeah. So the whole time he's like, I'm cooler than this. Yeah, but at the same time, he did change. Cameron did not. I did a quick head count of the guys that stood up. Me too. And I came up with 10 standing out of 20. Me too. I, it's right here. It says 10 out of 20 stood up. I'll be damned. Uh-huh. Um, a few other things that aren't, aren't as cool as what I've already shared with you. Um, when the boys show Professor Keating his old senior yearbook picture, in reality, Robin Williams High School senior picture when he's a student at Redwood High School. I'm sure. They do that all the time, these um, old picks. Norman Lloyd, who's the old guy. Uh-huh. He's the headmaster. From St. Elsewhere, was a bit, a bit put out when he had to audition for the role of Mr. Nolan. He made the decision while playing a tennis match because he said it heightened his receptivity. When he won the match, he agreed to audition for it. Uh, whatever. Yeah. Um, last, I just want to do um, my favorite quotes of the movie. That's where I am, too. Okay. Okay, so. You go first. And then I'm just going to play the old captain, my captain scene. So my um, my favorite one is probably the one that's written in the book. I'm going to give you some background music for this, sweetie. Okay. Oh, I like it. What is it from the movie? Oh, this oh. is the music at the very end. Oh, yeah. That's not what I want. Yeah, I that's... want the, what would you call that? Dead poets? I don't know. I don't really need music. Song. I know. I was trying to be Dead cool. Dead poets song. Was it on the top 40? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Okay. So inside of the book that they get from Mr. Keating or the the book that um, Mr. Keating finds in Neil's desk that they use for the Dead Poets Society. Four centuries of verse. Correct. Oh, how'd you know that? Because I'm good. Okay. So inside is the description um, that or part of the the poetry that they really pull from, that Neil and Charlie especially pull from. And it says, I went to the woods because I wanted to live deliberately. I wanted to live deep and suck out all the marrow of life, Mm. to put to rout all that was not life and not, when I had come to die, discover that I had not lived, Mm. which is very like, um, there's so many parts of that. Obviously, Charlie throughout the movie is like, talking about sucking the marrow out of life. And also, you know, let's think about Neil who decides to act um, because he feels inspired and he becomes a pixie or a fairy in the woods. Like there's a lot of like overlap here. And also, you know, we, uh, you and I had a big, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago, we had a big Wayne Dyer uh, phase where we read everything of his and went to see him a lot. And one of his, 
you know, most famous quotes is, you know, don't let your music die mm. inside of you. Mm -hmm. Like if you have music to share, then this needs to, this is what your life is. This is who you came here to be. And, you know, like, um, something I think I shared, I can't remember if I shared it here on pop culturing or on Zen parenting radio is that there is a, like a little parable about that when you go to heaven, um, you know, if it was you, Todd, and you had lived a life of doing whatever your parents wanted you to do, that God would say to you, Todd, why weren't you Todd? Yeah. Like we all came here to be ourselves. Not we, our mom, their right. dad's son or daughter. We came here to show up as somebody different than anybody who has ever existed. Because we are. Yeah. That's we are snowflakes in the positive term. Yeah. Meaning we are snowflakes in that there's no one like us. There's a great Martha Graham quote about that. She's a dancer and about how no one can take our life experience and who we are and move like we do. Yeah. We're and so basically, you know, when I had come to die, I discovered that I had not lived. And um that is probably my there's other quotes, but that one is the one that I think threads the whole movie together. Um, this isn't as deep as the one you just shared, but John Keating said, you must strive to find your own voice because the longer you wait to begin, the less likely you're going to find it at all. And as a parent, I I don't use that direct quote from the movie all the time, but I say things yeah. similar to that to my girls about you don't need to like push off something you love for yeah. later. Like you, if you, there is something that is meaningful to you, not only speak it now, but do your best to live it now. Yeah. Like there's no like, oh, I'm going to get through high school and college and then I'll be different. Or I'm going to get through middle school and then I'll be different. Like just do it. Just yeah. be who you are. Like, because the longer you wait, the less likely it is that you'll be able to recapture that. Boom. And you and I work with adults right now. You know, you work with men, I work with women. And this is what everybody's looking for yeah. is who am I really? Because they came in knowing, but at some point we forgot. forgot. And so it's a lot of unwinding Getting and back unlearning. back to where we were. Uh-huh. Um, John Keating, no matter what anybody tells you, words and ideas can change the world. Mm -hmm. um, when you read, don't just consider what the author thinks, consider what you think. Uh, and that is my... Like, again, another reason that John Keating is on my vision board is, uh, you know, I tell this story a lot, but I, as a student, I always had a different perspective, especially on literature. And when I would share that perspective, and even in elementary school, I'd be told I was wrong. Mm -hmm. And and again, I, the teacher in the moment wasn't a bad person necessarily, but there's such a, 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 a I guess I want to call it a multiple choice attitude about yeah. what's right and wrong. Linear. Exactly. And and here I am, you know, as a student saying, I think this character was feeling nervous and afraid. No, no, no. They were confident. It's yeah. like, but wait a second. Yeah. The way I saw it. So it's part of the reason I became a teacher, an elementary school teacher, is I wanted so bad, and I was able to do this when I worked at the hospital with kids, to like have kids raise their hand and give me a different perspective and me be able to say, why? Yeah. Tell me how you got there. Yeah. And so that is the point of literature. It's not a one answer kind of study. Um, I'm going to let Mr. Keating say this one. It's kind of a long one, but a good one. We don't read and write poetry because it's cute. We read and write poetry because we are members of the human race. And the human race is filled with passion. Medicine, law, business, engineering, these are noble pursuits and necessary to sustain life. But poetry, beauty, romance, love, 
These are what we stay alive for. To quote from Whitman, O me, O life of the questions of these recurring, of the endless trains of the faithless, of cities filled with the foolish, what good amid these, O me, O life? Answer, that you are here, that life exists and identity, that the powerful play goes on and you may contribute a verse. That the powerful play goes on and you may contribute a verse. your verse be? Sweetie, our verses are going to be Zen Parenting Radio and Pop Culture. <laughs> well, one comment that I'll say about that is recently I was reading, someone was talking about our show, about Zen Parenting specifically, and they were saying it's, I, th- they were, I think they're being somewhat critical, like, oh, you guys talk about pop culture a lot, and shouldn't we not care what actors think and do? Shouldn't we be bigger than, you know, that the entertainment industry? And I thought, wow, you're missing the point of why we're talking about pop culturing. I don't, I'm not talking about pop culture because I want to be an actor or because of the fame of these people. I could care less about that. I like talking about stories that help me see my life in a more clear and less alone way. Through movies, through music, through television shows, we get perspective not on our own lives but on other people, and that can only be done through the arts. And that's what he's saying is like we don't write poetry or listen to poetry because it's just cute. It's because we're human. And we can say, well, you know, what does Dead Poet Society, how is that the same as a Walt Whitman poem? Mm -hmm. How much did you learn about what kind of person you wanted to be after seeing this movie? You had to really grapple with who am I? Am I the one who's like swallowed the the tradition and said, I'm only going to do this? Or am I the one that's going to go out and live? So this is what art does. Mm. It's not about being intrigued with famous actors. Um, It's about being intrigued with the human you know, experience, experience. So anyway, um, so we're going to close the show with the, Oh, captain, my captain Mm, scene, which is kind of a long one. Mm -hmm. So is there any closing thoughts you want to say before we fade out? So as you fade out, this is obviously this, Oh, captain, you know, uh, my captain is from a Walt Whitman poem and it was written by him after president Lincoln was assassinated right after the civil war. And it was in, Oh, he never got to meet him. Walt Whitman did not meet him, but he wrote it as a honoring of he's no longer here, but we would not be where we are without this person. Mm. You will always be my captain, which is why very symbolic for what's going on. In exactly. This movie. John Keating will cool. no longer be with us, he's but gone. you will always be our captain. It's wonderful. Um, all right. Zen parenting, pop culturing tune in. Yeah, we'll see you. Uh, We may be coming back with a movie or we may be coming back with a TV show or who knows. Just know that we'll be back. All right. So here comes O Captain, my captain. Thanks, guys. Why are you doing it out of there? Let me try this. Fifty-six. What is poetry? That page has been greatness becomes a relatively simple matter. If the poem score for perfection is plotted on the horizontal of a graph... Mr. Keating, they made everybody sign it. You gotta believe me, it's true. I do believe you, Tom. Leave, Mr. Keating. But it wasn't his fault. Sit down, Mr. Anderson. One more outburst from you or anyone else, and you're out of this school. Leave, Mr. Keating. 
I said leave, Mr. Keating. Captain, my captain. Sit down, Mr. Anderson. You hear me? Sit down. Sit down. This is your final warning, Anderson. How dare you? Do you hear me? Oh, Captain, my captain. Mr. Overstreet, I warn you. Sit down. Sit down, all of you. I want you seated. Sit down. Leave, Mr. Keating. listening to pop culturing if you love movies music and talking about pop culture like us subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode if you enjoyed this podcast you will love zen parenting radio the podcast we've been doing for over eight years zen parenting focuses on self-awareness communication and connection with some pop culture thrown in and pop culturing focuses on pop culture with some self-awareness communication and connection thrown in listening to both will give you an ideal life balance if you want to know more about kathy and i head over to zenparentingradio.com to get more information about our podcasts, events, and don't forget our annual Zen Parenting Conference in Chicago, and so much more. Thanks for listening. We'll see you at the movies. I like that. See you at the movies. Mm-hmm.